Hello everybody, James here, Storytime with Dutch, episode 57.5 we're going to call this. So, from now on, every Tuesday, we're going to have a little companion piece to the main episode. And this companion piece is all going to be your questions. So, if you want to ask a question to the Dutchman himself, El Sucio. See, it's Spanish, we pronounce it El, El Sucio, I think. Anyway, forget it. Uh, if you want to ask a question to Dutch... <laughs> himself then all you have to do is email questions for dutch at gmail.com that goes for every episode thereafter and we're going to do a quick and uh, breezy half an hour so dutch are you ready for fan questions <clears throat> i am ready and uh, i hope these a lot of these questions are up to date would be topical is that the word i'm looking for mm-hmm. okay let them be up to date, folks, and I'll answer all that I can. Plus, if I don't have an answer, guess what? Just I'll just make I just make it up. It's entertaining <laughs> as hell. That's the spirit. First one, Levi Ward, dear Dutch. I was wondering, did you ever encounter Doctor Jerry Graham? You wanted him current, but uh, you haven't got him current on this one. At least I have heard stories about him, like how he stole his mother's corpse and how he was Vince McMahon's favorite wrestler. Just wondering your thoughts on the man and his legacy to pro wrestling. I met him one time when I had just started. <clears throat> I was in Atlanta. He came in for like a week, I think. He was big. He was fat. He was drunk. He was sloppy. Looked like a slob. When he would eat, the food would all be on his shirt and everything else. He lasted a week. And I don't even think – he may not even lasted a week – they may have gotten rid of him about if he came in on Monday, they may have gotten rid of him on Saturday. I mean, on, on Wednesday, because he was that way. And he would show up at town so drunk. He showed up at one town. He, he threw up in the parking lot. Oh, it was <laughs> awful. But see, I'm just started and I'm thinking, God, this is what wrestling is. They do this. What the hell It's like, it's the worst thing I could have seen in my first week. Your first week as well, and you saw him. Maybe the second week, but early, early, early on, I do remember that uh, they brought in Jerry Graham for Doctor Jerry Graham for a week, I think, and he only lasted like three days. What did you hear about Doctor Jerry Graham? Because obviously, you know, all the old timers at the time would have been telling stories about this, that, and the other. But with Doctor Jerry, what did you hear about him specifically? Well, it's exactly what I saw. He was a drunk. He was a slob. And a uh, big fat bastard. Uh, the Graham name started in the old WWW elf. And he teamed up with Eddie, who later became the owner or majority owner of the Florida Territory and Championship Wrestling from Florida. But Eddie and Jerry, they. Of course, they weren't brothers. That's what we call them the business, plastic brothers. And but Eddie understood the business. Jerry didn't give a shit. Jerry did not care. He didn't care about respecting the business nor how it looked. He didn't care because he didn't care about himself either. And I, I don't know when he died, but he didn't live that much longer after that. When did he die? Well, do you know, I just looked at it before. Nineteen ninety-seven. So he lived down. Yeah, another like twenty. That was that years. was twenty five years after I met him. Yeah, I don't know how he did. He was like three hundred fifty pounds then. 
So I don't know. Sometimes these these guys have charmed lives and they don't live a healthy life, but live a long time. Did you ever meet Luke Graham? The sort of I did meet Luke. Luke. I do meet Luke Graham. Luke Graham was from uh, he was from down south somewhere. And he's a big old tall guy, good guy. This is what I remember about Luke Graham. Luke would sit in the dressing room, and he was never confrontational. I mean, he, he'd talk to you, but he was never really outgoing. And he would sit there, and he'd have a bottle of Jack Daniels, a big fifth. And he'd go, he'd turn it down. He'd do it every time <laughs> and put it down. And he'd he'd just sip on it. And then he'd go to the ring and do what he had to do, and he'd come back. Then he'd sit down. There's the bottle. He'd turn it up. <sighs> Set it down. And that's what I remember about Luke Graham. But, but good guy. He was a good guy. We will move on. Zuela, love the podcast. But he never, he, he never offered me a drink of the Jack. Hmm. Mm. No. Did you want? That was a joke. Did you want to? I was going to no. say. Did you want to share a bottle with him? <laughs> no, I, uh, I was just starting out too. That was probably not the same year that I met. And and I think Jerry came in because of Luke. They both had him in the territory at the same time, so. The booker said, well, uh, we'll see if we can bring him in both. But hell, Luke might even said send him home because Luke couldn't even, I mean, uh, Jer uh, Luke couldn't control Jerry. I mean, Jerry was going to do what he wanted to do, but Luke was a, a good guy. Uh, next question, uh, Zuela, loved the podcast, Dutch and James. You see, like, if you want a question asked, that's a, that's a good way of doing it. Uh, I don't believe I've ever heard if Dutch had any interactions with the headbangers. If so, what kind of guys were they behind the characters? Didn't have a lot. Those guys weren't confrontational. They weren't. They just wanted to go and do do their job and get the job done or whatever they had to do and, and get out. So, but the headbangers had a pretty good gimmick. I never quite got it. I guess it was that heavy metal type gimmick they were trying to do. And But I never knew them to really catch on anywhere. Good gimmick, good workers, good guys. But uh, I don't ever remember the gimmick doing anything. Mm, do you know who came up with the characters? Paul Heyman. Jim Cornette. I think it was a Smoky Mountain thing, because Smoky Mountain, uh, sorry, uh, the Headbangers came in to replace New Jack and Mustafa when they had to go and they went to ECW. So they were the replacement team for the gangsters. So Jimmy come up with a... What was the gimmick? Yeah, basically. Uh, we're going to move on. Hello, okay. Dutch. Oh, I've lost the guy's name, unless his name's Hello Dutch. Anyway, Hello Dutch. I'm sorry, I've, I've forgotten your name. Uh, I was lis uh, listening to a podcast with Bushwhacker Luke, and he told a story about your old tag team partner, Hangman Bobby Jaggers and Scott Casey. Bobby and Scott were both wrestling for Joe Blanchard and had an incident on TV where Bobby ended up with a bucket of cow pies on his head. Allegedly, Terry Funk had loaded the bucket up with some funk pies as well. I was wondering if you ever had a conversation with Bobby about this angle and if you ever thought about booking this one for one of your angles. Seems like a home run, thanks in advance. 
Bobby did talk about that one time. He didn't much appreciate it. <laughs> and he it was all over him, and Luke was telling me, and he was laughing so hard. But Bobby somehow kind of missed the humor in this, and he didn't like it at all. But at the time, I heard that San Antonio was doing pretty good business. And the Jaggers, you could get some heat on Jaggers a little bit. And he was... He was he was one of the guys they tried to build it around, and who was he working with? Did it say it was Cowboy? Um, I mean, uh, <clears throat> says Scott, tagging Scott. partner. Yeah, he said tagging partner with Scott Casey and um, Terry Funk. Uh, Terry Funk's name is thrown in there, so maybe he was facing Terry Funk at the time. This is what I think. I think they was against each other. Scott Casey was a babyface. Jaggers was a heel. Okay. And if Terry Funk was there, well, that describes the rest of Sorry, it. Sorry, I messed up there. It says a story about your old tag team partner, Hangman Bobby Jaggers, and Scott Casey. So they weren't tagging. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry, I misread that. No, that was right. Yeah, uh, Bobby Jaggers. Have we... I mean, he was your tag partner for a good while in mid-Atlantic. I'm not even sure we've yep. ever talked about Bobby. Uh, you've, you've got to give us some stories about Bobby. Well, Bobby was, we'd be riding down the road and he would just start talking. Not to me. I guess he was trying to talk to me. That Jaggers had more stories. But the thing is, you couldn't believe any story Bobby told you. Because they would just get more extreme and this and that. And he told me one time that he was a great water skier. And I'm looking at Bobby, and I'm thinking, you know, he would tell me the tricks he would do, like the one-trick deal and the the skating backwards, you know, on one leg or one ski. And I thought, and I didn't say, Bobby, that's bullshit. I didn't say that. But I was thinking that. And Bobby, again, is one of the guys who he's not with us anymore. But he was a great guy to travel with because you wouldn't have any any moments in there that weren't interesting. He wasn't boring. He was as far away from boring as you could get. So he told me about this water skiing deal. And Tully Blanchard was in the territory at the same time. And I was telling him the story, and but then he told me one. He said, that son of a bitch said that in San Antonio. They had worked there because Tully Blanchard's father ran the territory, Joe Blanchard. And he says, they went out to the lake one day. And he said, okay, Bobby, big mouth. Show me what you can do on this, these skis. Bobby says, what? He said, show me, because you're saying you're such a great skier. Show us. And he says, I'd be goddamn. That Bobby went out there, <laughs> made me look like a complete idiot. 
because not only was he doing the two skis in the big in the bank for then he took one ski off and he skated backwards he said i had to eat my own words <laughs> and he said if he told you he could ski it's true and i went well, i'll be damned so what he was telling me was true he he, he backed it up another thing we were going to work with him and lex luger in I can't remember the town now, but they had a, a weird-looking arena, not Durham, Fayetteville, somewhere. But before the match, Luger kept bitching and complaining to Tully, what are we going to do with those guys? What are we going to do? Tully says, listen, just get over there in the corner and stay out of the way, and I'll show you what to do. We went out there, and with me, Bobby, and Tully, really, basically, in this match, and we tore the house down. And Luger just got in there for the finish because he was going to beat one of us. And then we went back after a great match, minus Luger, by the way, and Tully looked at him. He said, see, Lex, that's how you do it. But I, I guarantee it didn't help Lex any. He just – he was a – he was watching the match from the sidelines, which is what he should have been doing anyway. If he hadn't have been a bodybuilder, he would have never he, he never even got interested in wrestling. You've never answered this question. Uh, how how did you end up with Bobby Jaggers in the first place? Who teamed you up and why did you end up together? Dusty. I wanted to go to I forgot where I was. I guess I was in a I just I guess I was still in Tennessee. And Dusty liked Bobby. So I guess I called about the same time Bobby called. And then when we we hit that intersectionality, you like that word? I used it last week, too. Yes. Uh, or this week, intersectionality. He got to thinking, hmm, Dutch, cowboy hat, Bobby, cowboy hat. <laughs> and Bobby is from Kansas. So he put us together under the cowboy hats and called us the Kansas Jayhawks, which is okay. Isn't that a trademark name though? Because I thought it was like a basketball team, wasn't it? Or no, it's, it's a college football team. There we go. Or it, it, it's a college, the, the Jayhawks. Yeah, yeah. University of Kansas. I don't know Kansas State. I don't know. But he put us together, and we were okay. We worked with the Russians, and we were basically it was Nikita and uh, and. Ivan worked with them and and with the Midnight Express. They used us good. But the reason I left was that they were, and I, I may have said this a week or so ago, they wanted me to go, and this is when all the territories were changing. I think Florida was going out of business, but Charlotte wanted to take it over because of Miami and Tampa and Jacksonville and Miami, some of the big towns. And they wanted me to go there. I went, no, I don't want to go there. I'm not, I'm not keen on that idea because they didn't give me a guarantee or how much money I'd make. So what would you do if somebody says, listen, move to Florida, but we can't guarantee what your salary is going to be. <laughs> and they wanted me to, and I said, no, I'm not doing it. Then I went somewhere else. 
Uh, Charlotte South, I believe they were going to call it as well. They didn't actually call it that, thankfully. Uh, we are going to move on. Michael, hello, Dutch. I wanted to ask if you had a particular memory or story about Gentleman Chris Adams. I thought he was a very good talent and he became a legitimate star and world class between 1983 and 1986. But his career spiralled downward after that for a variety of reasons, as he had substance issues, spent some time in prison, made bad business decisions, etc. Yeah, I have... A I have one vivid recollection of <clears throat> what was the guy's name again? <laughs> vivid. <laughs> Chris uh, Adams. Chris well, Adams. Chris Chris Adams. We used to go down to Dallas on Friday nights. And I only made this trip twice. I not three times. Never made anymore. But Jerry Jared had taken over the Dallas territory. And we went down there and we did a live, no, it wasn't a live, it was a tape TV on Friday night, I think. And they put me in there against Chris Adams. My God, that was the stiffest bastard I'd ever worked with. He kicked me one time so hard, almost in my solar plexus, that if I could have got my breath back within a minute, which I didn't, I'd have got up and punched him out. But he, I don't know what it is. He, he acted like I owed him money or something. The shots were hard. He may not have wanted to work with me. I don't know. But after the kick in the gut, he was kind of stiff to start the match off with. And I wondered, and I didn't even know him. It was the first time I'd ever met him. First time I'd ever worked with him. But after that kick in the gut, I didn't want to work with him again because I knew how it would end up. It's going to end up in a fight. Chris had this going against him. He was an alcoholic for one thing. And he had major, major anger problems, especially when he started drinking. And he would like, and I've heard stories about him. He was like, he'd like, he just go, he'd just go wild. So, which is not good in Texas. I mean, you go in some of those bars and you have an anger fit. Well, next thing you know, you're shot. So, but anyway, it, it didn't come to that, thankfully. And Chris seemed to be okay when I talked to him before the match. Didn't seem to not to like anything or he was agreeable to everything, but he was just stiff. And sometimes you can't kick a guy in the gut that hard without meaning to. I mean, kicks with feet, I mean, they're either – they can be, you can get a potato, but not straight in on a kick. I mean, it has to be, that took a little follow through. So I, I thought he was mad at me. I got up. If I could have, I couldn't breathe. First of all, he could have really kicked my ass feet if wanted to then, because I couldn't do nothing. <laughs> and by the time I come back around time, of, it was time for the match to end. So I said, let's, let's end this match and go home. And I went back to the restroom, shook his hand. Thank you, brother. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He said, and that was it. I never said it. I, I never talked to him after that, ever. Next question. Andre, I nearly caught myself saying we'll move on. I'm trying not to repeat everything I say. But anyway, Andreas. Hello, been a wrestling fan since 86 when we get cable TV where I lived in Sweden. My question is, what is Dutch's take on comedic wrestlers, and do you th uh, think they have a ceiling in wrestling? What does Dutch think about Danhausen? Hope you're having a nice day. 
So we'll uh, we'll we'll stick it with Danhausen. No. Well, comedic wrestlers have a spot because that's the spot for your kids. Kids like them. They sell a lot of merchandise. Uh, and Danhausen, Housen, I think has a place if used correctly as an uh, an appendage or an offshoot of some guy. They could use him in that row. Plus, he's not big and he's not intimidating. Doesn't he do like this? Has to put spells <laughs> on people, Something like and it that. don't work. It don't work. Oh yeah, well, I'll do it again. <laughs> but that does have because it's entertaining. You know, there is some guys you might find said, "Well, I can put a spell on you." What's it? <laughs> and nothing happened. It's it's actually funny. But Danhausen has has a unique character. I think him and Hook together were good, and uh, I think they could actually bring Danhausen in on this angle with uh, Hook and Jungle Boy. I think he may fit in. He could put a try to put a spell on Jungle Boy or something. But yeah, there is a place, and they do have a ceiling. You can't get too serious with them. Because if you get serious with them, that flies in the face of their gimmick of being silly and being non-threatening. And, you know, the women like it and, and the kids like it. And, yes, there is a there is a, a place for the comedic wrestlers in wrestling, comedic wrestlers. The jester. There's a phrase, uh, almost coincidentally, the jester and comedic wrestlers, but the jester, there's a phrase that Mick Foley coined in his first book that went something like putting the fear of Harley into somebody. <laughs> Harley was so tough and respected, he merely had to verbally put his point across. Mick gives the example of a ringside physician who Harley convinced to put down an injury happening in the ring rather than outside of it so Mick Foley could get WCW to pay for his medical bills. So the fear mm -hmm. of Harley. Oh, yeah, well, Harley had a punch. That was legendary. He would knock people out left and right when he was a heel. I mean, there was two guys in the wrestling business that had tremendous punches. One was Harley, and the other was Dick Murdoch. Dick Murdoch, I saw him go to the ring one night in West Palm Beach, Florida. And by the time he got back, it was a run-in. He just did a run-in. They were three guys laying in the aisle. <laughs> he had knocked three guys out. I think he knocked one out on the way in and then two out on the way out. So, but Hardy was tough, really, really tough. And he grew up tough. And uh, because the way Harley talked, even if you were on the street and you didn't know Harley was a wrestler or anything else, you just met him. The way he talked would put the fear of God in you because he never talked loud. He never screamed. He talked in a, a monotone, but he meant every word he said. So if somebody talked to me like that and I know they're red hot mad, that would unnerve me. You know, I don't, I'm not scared of nothing. I'm, I'm Mr. Fearless, mm. but, uh, that would, that would back me off. 
because a lot of people I'd rather for them to be screaming and hollering, carrying around than, than composed because he was always composed and he was tough and nobody ever tried him in the ring. And he had respect too. Even Andre respected him. Uh, all the Japan offices respected him and uh, all the promoters respected him. Harley race was, was, was a guy with a, a lot of respect, not only with the wrestlers, but with the, uh, the membership of the NWA and the people running the business. I'm glad you mentioned Japan as well, because the old story is when Ric Flair or whoever would go defend their belt in Japan, and you never know if you're going to get double cross and they take the belt off you, that kind of thing. The solution was, I'll just send Harley with him. And he was absolutely fine yeah. every single time. I mean, how can you be just that scary? <laughs> you know what I mean? You'll bet you, your presence enough is to stop any shenanigans from going on, and, and that's how it was. Well, they would put him against some of those really strong shooters too, and they left him alone. So when you when you got that amount of respect preceding you, of course it had to be it had to be gained somewhere. They knew what Harley could do, and they knew you couldn't you couldn't mess around with him because you'd end up because not only he could knock you out, but they knew that anything they tried, if Harley didn't like it, there's going to be some kind of a disagreement or a fight. And I didn't think they could, they were sure they could win the fight. Did Was it you who wrestled Harley? Did you wrestle him for the NWA championship? Was this in Florida when you were Booker? Or am I completely mis... Because uh, you said you wrestled for the NWA championship, like, but only in Florida when you were Booker because there was no one else at the time. I think I wrestled him... No, I wrestled Flair in Florida. Right. I think I wrestled him in Memphis one Monday night on a combined show between Vern Gagne, Memphis, maybe a little bit of the Texas talent, because they were banding together to try to get enough Pro Wrestling strength. USA. Yes, I've seen the match. They, they were trying to get enough talent together, I guess, to offshoot WWF. Hell, he beat me in like two minutes. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, guys, I don't mind doing it, but this is one of our main towns. Why didn't you get somebody else? Well, y'all have a good match. I said, two minutes? And I, I argued the point, except that didn't make them change anything, so I went out and did it. But I always, I always liked Hardy. I always got along with him. I'm going to ask one more, and then we're going to shut down this speedy half hour or so podcast. Uh, name withheld, it says. Dutch, I listened to a podcast featuring somebody. I'm not going to give his name. I don't really fancy plugging someone else's podcast. And he told a story about how you put an ad in a wrestling program in Nashville for wrestling tryouts and charged $300. He said his friend and two other guys were there, and the entire tryout consisted of making them run around the outside of the building. Is this true? And if so, do you think it was worth $300 in 1989? Well, I remember what I did, and it wasn't 300 it was 200. So let's get our facts straight right there. And I was getting ready to open a school up. And what happened, anybody that's opened schools up, you'll get a lot of interest till it comes time to talk about the money. 
And, oh, well, maybe I wasn't as serious as I thought I was. Or you never hear anything from them. And I did charge $200. And the $200 I charged was if I started my school, it was I was going to charge $100 a month, which is not outrageous. Cheap. And Incredibly cheap. And the $100 was to take the tryout to pay me for that. And the $100 was for, for the first month. So if they if they wanted to take it, you know, they could take it. But I didn't cheat anybody. And was $200 uh, too much to charge? And when was it? 1989. Hell no. Thinking about what? Well, I was just reading about a Magnum TA. Who did he pay $10,000 to? Buzz Sawyer? Buzz Sawyer, yeah. $10,000. And you're talking about $200 or $300? And first of all, another thing is you, you, I had to, I did have the guys run outside. Part of this is right. I did have them run outside, but listen, I'm trying to run them off really. <laughs> because if you want to get in this business, you're going to have to sacrifice. And if you, you just to show me how dedicated you are to being a wrestler, let's see if you can run this. And they were all, and I put like, here, 30 yards, run here, and run back. Then I'd go back to 60 yards, run here, and run back, okay? Now, by this time, they were gone. I went back 100 yards, run here, and run as fast as you can. I thought they were going to die. So then I ran to the – I tried to do the 60s again. They couldn't run hard. They were barely getting it. They were out of steam already, and then the 30. And then we did a few more things and it was over. So they were showing me what kind of shape they were in and how dedicated they were. No, I don't think $200 or even if it had been $300, I don't think that was too much because I damn sure not going to put them in a ring and tell them to take a bump. Because mm -hmm. then I become legally responsible if they get hurt. I'm not doing that. So that's the best way to tell uh, to show a young talent what it's going to be like to get in this business. You're going to have to sacrifice and you're going to have to work hard. And if you didn't like it, don't take the class. How many turned up and how many came back? I think uh, four or five, maybe. And, and I think maybe one came back. One. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is what it is about guys who want to be wrestlers. They see it on TV. Oh, God. Oh, God. That's good. That's good. You envision yourself with having 10,000 people cheering you, which I don't begrudge that. Because that's that's the good part about it. What they don't know is the four hours it took driving to get there. Then the three hours they spent at the arena and then the four hours driving back hurt, maybe. That's when the glory drops out of wrestling. When it drops back to where you got to do actual mundane civilian steps to get to where you're going, oh, all the glory is gone and they don't have anything to do with that. Mm -hmm. Did you ever uh, formally train anyone, uh, you know, from beginning to their first match, you know, for months on end? Well, this was a guy I trained. 
He went as Josephus, uh-huh. Brody Jos- Josephus. He's dead now. Yeah. But I trained him from go to woe, and he was he would have done good. He may not. I think he may have ended up in WWE. But he had a he had a girlfriend that didn't much want him to live that lifestyle. And I can see that. And he kind of he kind of gave it up for her. He ended up working with Billy Corgan in NWA, but he didn't work with him. Uh well, he did. He did the the question mark gimmick with Aaron, what was his name? The idol Steve. Name yeah. I call him Damien, Damien Sandow. Yeah, yeah. I love that gimmick. He was the question mark for Moldovia, Moldovia. which is no kind. It, it was no country. And they had a flag and they had in question mark, never talked. And I thought it was one of the, and Damien did so good with that. And I mean, Joe did good. And when I heard he passed away, you know, I really liked him. Really, really good guy. Mm-hmm. And I still I still talk to his girlfriend every now and then just to check on her. So they still they still live in Nashville. So but I kind of coached him to get get him to where he is. We will leave it there then. So that was a nice breezy bunch of questions, fan questions. If you want to send your questions in for next week's episode, questions for dutch at gmail.com i'll do some plugs we've got books we've got t-shirts you see them on the main channel i'm sure uh, the main episode uh, every time we've also got a facebook page story time with dutchman tell the links going to be under this video and every clip and everywhere else so you can't miss it but for now thank you very much for watching we'll catch you again on friday and dutch we the people we the people